friends, welcome back for another episode of the It's Murder Y'all podcast. I'm your host, Amber, and with me today is a man who always does it for Dale, my husband, Rob. Say hey, Rob. Raise hell, praise Dale. <laughs> so since we finished up South Carolina. For real. Car- for real. Since we finished up South Carolina last week with our Black and Missing episode, it's time to venture to our next Southern state. We're going to be in the state that gave us Bojangles, Petey Pablo, the greatest teen drama of all time, One Tree Hill. And of course, Rob's hero. Take your shirt off, swing it around your head like a like helicopter. A helicopter. Uh, and of course, Rob's hero, Dale Earnhardt. It's done, done, done. Right. North Carolina, come on and raise up. Uh, this week's case actually takes us directly to the birthplace of the Intimidator, which is Kannapolis, North Carolina. But first, we're going to take a little detour right. over to Mooresville, North Carolina, which is about 20 minutes north of Kannapolis. Shirley Dean Goodnight was born Mooresville. Nope, was born in Mooresville, North Carolina, on August 11, 1950, making her a Leo. And yes, her last name was Goodnight, which I think is super cool. Yeah, that's a pretty solid name. Never heard that um, as a name. So, according to Snapped, Shirley was a ray of sunshine in a region known for its southern hospitality. So, just from looking at her, you could tell that Shirley was one hundred percent. A ray of sunshine who was out here just lighting up rooms left and right. And, you know, you know what that means. So there's no argument that she was a sweet, darling, charming little Southern lady. You'd call her cute as a button. But my issue when watching Snapped and also watching Deadly Women, because there's an episode about this case on there too, is the weird emphasis they put on the fact that she was Southern. I was taking notes as I was watching the episodes and as I was watching Snapped, I made a note to myself that said, it's a little patronizing how much shows like this emphasize Southerness. We're not sideshow freaks. Deadly Women was even worse than Snapped. At one point they said, quote, Shirley is the warm, charming Southern woman, as gracious as a Southern glass of iced tea, end quote. First of all, get a different writer because you are personifying tea. Tea can't be gracious. Secondly, it is sweet tea, not iced tea get it right and thirdly the accents in the deadly women episode they were god awful it was very much giving bad they sound like the chicken designing women no they were those all those ladies were ladies were actually southern well really the the one that played charlene wasn't she was actually an 80 pie Um, i remember as a kid he like but no the other three absolutely southern oh i remember as a kid thinking like i don't know like i nobody I knew watched it but like we would see it would be on tv and I would think as a kid like they're putting on that is they're tuning it up uh, not, I don't know not I of that way not of the main cast um oh I, I also think designing women is on Hulu. maybe I'm thinking about the one from golden girls she I was think a, I might be confused she was also southern too she did ramp it up but she was also southern like legitimately no. Um, so I have no idea. Anyway, I digress. But uh, Designing Women is on Hulu, and I kind of and I want to watch it because I love that show. You and, and Olivia, uh, oh shit! <laughs> you you and the you the say her name one, in every episode. You and the little one um, uh, watch that what video about the oh the the not the, 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 the last one out in, yeah that little yeah. rant. Yes, I can. It's funny. It's very funny. I can quote it. She's starting to be able to quote it. And that's the night the lights went out in Georgia. It's not how you just. Sorry. You did uh, Dixie Carter a disservice just now. I apologize, Dixie Carter. 
Um, but no, in Deadly Women, it sounded like they were trying to do a bad impression of Forrest Gump. And it was insulting. And like, I can't. Everywhere they went, they was murdering. <laughs> You're dumb. <laughs> I cannot stand a bad Southern accent. Like just get, get somebody like, because they're very obvious. Like when our kid tries to do a Southern accent, because despite, despite the fact that she's lived in the South her entire life, she watched too much PBS, which is all voiced by Canadian voice actors. So she doesn't have an accent. So she makes fun of ours and it's always bad. Except there's some words that she says every now and then that because they're words that are usually said in like a Southern context, like she, I think she says pinched. Instead of pinch. She says some funny shit. She's hilarious all the time. So back to Shirley. In 1970, Shirley married Randall Pierce and gave birth to their daughter, Tracy, in 1971. Tracy was Shirley's only child, and of course, she adored her. In 1981, Shirley and Randall split. And while we don't know what she was up to in the 80s, we do know that in the 1990s, she took a job with the Charlotte Motor Speedway as the administrative assistant for Humpy Wheeler, who was the racetrack's general manager. One of NASCAR's greatest promoters and will go down in, um, if he's not in the Hall of Fame, he will go down in the Hall of NASCAR Hall of Fame as one of the greats of the sport. One that pushed the sport to a higher level. Uh, roll Tide Humpy Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you were going to spit some facts. Uh, Humpy Wheeler is one of the goats of NASCAR. If you don't know, now you know. Well, there we go. So Shirley worked for Humpy for seven or eight years. Then in 2002, she left for a job as the administrative assistant for Martin Foyle, who's actually friends with Humpy, who was the owner and CEO of Tuscarora Yarn Factory. Shirley loved her job and got along great with her coworkers, often having lunch with them at a local restaurant because she was super friendly. Like she legit, like Dateline wouldn't even have to lie. Like she legit lit up a room. So in 1999, Shirley's daughter, Tracy, gave We got to come up with a like, like two or three other alternate phrases that mean kind of the same thing is they lit up a room. Let's, let's modernize it as they had vibes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Or, have, but you have bad vibes. Well, we could say they had some dope vibes. That made me think of, um, or you could say like, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Cause I'm trying to find something to show, to tell I feel you. Like it, it'd be like the same thing of like, if somebody was a cool hang, like you could be like, yo, like in memoriam, that motherfucker was a cool hang or, you know, he was a man's man. He was, he, he was loyal or it just, they lit up a room. Like they all say the same. It's all the same shit. They lit up a room. Like no, not everybody lights up a room. And I, 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 I would say that sometimes I could light up a room, but not all. Sometimes I darken a hallway. You know, <laughs> as long as you don't have your a grumpy... doorway, a dark in a doorway, I guess. <laughs> as long as you don't have your grumpy pants on, you could light up a room. Um, but speaking of the vibes, I'm looking through my phone to try to find this thing that I saved that was so funny to me. And I'm going to be real bummed out if I can't find it now. Um, oh, I don't think I can. Oh, here it is. Okay. So it, first of all, it's a possum wearing a cowboy hat. And it's a sticker and it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the vibes that aren't rootin' tootin'. That's and a it, very high quality meme sticker scenario. Hilarious. So, if you don't like the rootin' tootin' vibes. Then you can just go the hell on. You don't, you don't like the it's murder y'all vibes. There we go. some rootin' tootin', murderin', 
case talking about and sons of bitches around here. Rooting, tooting all over the place. Bunch of bitch ass tinky winkies. <laughs> the the ability that you have to read my mind, because I was literally about to say that. So I'm trying to make it a thing, low key. I think it's gonna be a thing, or people are gonna get very offended. But anyways. Either way, you know what? Everybody's got their haters. Yeah. I'm 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 in my feelings because of haters. We love okay. all if bitch ass tanky winky suck. is the most coolest term of endearment. If you're a bitch ass tanky winky in our eyes, you are a dope son of a bee. Yep. Okay. In 1999, Shirley's daughter Tracy gave birth to a son named Devin, and Shirley was tickled. She loved being a grandmother. Tickled to death. And of course, she doted on her grandbaby. When she wasn't working or loving on little Devin, she helped plan events and raise money for Hind's Feet Farm, which is an organization that supports individuals with traumatic and acquired brain injuries. She's even out here doing fucking charity. Like, she was just a delight of a person. In the late 2000s, Shirley met a textile salesman named Chuck Reeves, and they fell for each other. As her friend Donna told Snap, she had finally found the true love of her life, and she was happy. The couple loved the outdoors, traveling, and being part of the Austin Healy Car Club. And by 2013, Chuck had... For per- context, an Austin Healy is like a... Uh, Fancy car? No, it's like a little tiny car. Like uh, Like a Mini Cooper? Um... It's like, like a, it doesn't have. It's like think of like a an old school like '30s convertible with like super flary fenders. You've lost me. And just a windshield. You know what I mean? Like an old old. I don't. Car. I don't know what you mean. But I'll Google it later. Go ahead. So by 2013, Chuck had proposed, and the couple was planning their wedding, and they were looking forward to their lives together. On the evening of Monday, July 22nd, 2013. Chuck called Shirley as he normally did. It was 8.15 p.m. and they were talking about their plans for the next day. Chuck was going out of town for work and Shirley was going to dog sit for him. They were chatting when all of a sudden the phone went dead. Apparently, cell service, because I was like, he just, he just like let the, like the call died and he didn't call back. He was like, okay, well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. But apparently cell service wasn't great in Kannapolis at the time. So like he didn't think much about it and he did not try calling her back. Which they they made specifically in Snap. They were like, yeah, it was bad service. And that wasn't uh, a weird thing. But allow me to stop for a moment and insert an It's Murder Y'all PSA slash life rule. If you were talking to somebody and the call suddenly drops, please at least try to call them back. Now, you don't have to go full panic mode like I would. But at least try to get them on the phone if you can to make sure things are okay. And this is no shade to Chuck. You know, especially because this was not an uncommon. check on your people. Yeah, you got to. Um, but that, I guess that happened and they just went along with it. So the next morning at about nine 40, Chuck drove over to Shirley's house. He gets there and he notices that the garage door was open, but the door like into the house was locked and he couldn't get Shirley to come to the door. So this struck him as weird because Shirley knew that he was coming over. So he grabbed the spare key that she hid outside and he let himself in. He walks in and he's calling for Shirley, but she's not answering. He hears water running, so he heads towards the bathroom, but it, it her place was like ours is, like you have to go through our bedroom to get to the master bathroom. So he walks into Shirley's bedroom, and he sees blood everywhere, and he specifically sees a trail of blood leading into the bathroom. I cannot imagine the level of fear and dread 
that he had been experiencing that moment. But he continued into the bathroom and he found a bloodied 62-year-old Shirley Pierce laying dead in the bathtub. Chuck immediately noped the hell out of there, went outside to call 911 and waited until police got there. The 911 dispatcher told him to go back in the house to check for a pulse, but Chuck said he couldn't go back in there and he started crying. He also made it clear that based on the amount of blood that was everywhere, Shirley was beyond help. So police arrived on the scene and immediately headed towards the master bedroom. They were met with a bloody scene. They showed crime scene photos on Snap and there was like an inordinate amount of blood on the carpet. Like there was, rip that shit up because there ain't no cleaning that. So police follow the blood trail into the bathroom and examine the body of Shirley. She is obviously dead, covered in blood and the shower's like running on her. And it was clear that she'd been attacked with a sharp object because she had multiple stab wounds to her face and neck. Based on the sheer brutality of the murder, police figured it had to have been someone that knew her. Uh, it had to have been a deeply personal attack, and it had to be by somebody who was very angry. So, in addition to all the blood, investigators also noticed the, sm the smell of bleach, and they had seen some bleach patterns on the carpet. So, it seemed to them that the killer had tried to clean up the crime scene. Based on the amount of blood that was everywhere, it seemed like a futile attempt, because blood was, like, it was even dripping from the ceiling fan. Like, this shit was everywhere. But... There's information that comes out later on that, pretty rowdy. that explains the thought process here. Though the killer had taken the time to try to clean up, investigators were confident that they had to have messed up somewhere along the way. Based on the frenzied attack on Shirley, it was likely that the killer had also been injured because, as we mentioned in a previous episode, when you stab somebody repeatedly, the knife has a tendency to slip from all the blood and the stabber also gets cut. So with that in mind, the investigators were betting on the shower curtain being the key. So not only did they swab it, at the scene, they also sent the whole ass shower curtain to the state crime lab. While crime scene investigators were doing their thing inside, Rowan County Sheriff's Detective Carl Dangerfield decided to have a little chat with Shirley's fiance, Chuck. Now, as we know, the spouse or significant other is always the first person police look into. Not to mention, Chuck was a person who found the body, and from what police could tell, Shirley most likely knew her killer because there was no evidence of forced entry. And while there was some degree of ransacking, it wasn't to the level you would expect from a burglary or if like a burglary had been the goal, had been the goal. Whoever killed Shirley had come there solely to kill Shirley. Detective Dangerfield noted Chuck's demeanor. He was obviously torn up about his fiance being brutally murdered, but was also very cooperative and very articulate when it came to answering the, the detective's questions. Chuck explained that he had last spoken with Shirley the night before when the call dropped. Then he came by this morning to drop off his dog. He couldn't get Shirley to come to the door, so he let himself in with a spare key, and then he found Shirley in the tub. Detective Dangerfield was, play was paying real close attention to Chuck's story. He was trying to see, you know, are there any inconsistencies? Are there any contradictions? But everything seemed consistent with what they found at the scene. And when, he asked, when they asked if he killed Shirley, Chuck adamantly denied any involvement. He said that his and Shirley's relationship was a good one. They loved each other, and everything was going well, so why would he murder her? Beyond that, he wasn't even in town the previous night. He'd been uh, down in South Carolina working. So Detective Dangerfield and his Rowan County Sheriff's Office colleague, Major Chad Moose, were leaning towards Chuck not being involved. But while they waited to find out if his alibi was legit, spoiler alert, it was, they decided to check Chuck for injuries. They examined his hands and arms and weren't able to find a single cut, scratch, bruise, or nothing. And as we discussed, whoever did this murder or was, nothing was going to have injuries to their hands or arms. So at this point, they have ruled out their first suspect, and it's time to start exploring other options. Before they can even start, though, like literally, 
just a couple hours after finding Shirley dead, police get a call from a man saying that he's pretty sure that his wife was responsible for Shirley's murder. He's call- pretty sure? Yes. How I mean, do you that, call the that's... cops and be like, I'm pretty If I thought you murdered somebody and it was worth calling the cops about, I'd be a thousand percent sure. Not, I'm pretty sure she killed motherfucker. Well, I mean, come on, dude. Pretty sure was my wording. Oh, I'm. I'm just saying. Pretty sure is sounds a hundred percent unsure to me. I'm but, pretty sure. I mean, it can be helpful in situations like police will say all the time, like any clue, no matter how little it is, no matter what you think it is, can be helpful. Um, and I when get you that, but when like, you hear the story I'm about to tell you, you would see why, even if. You'll see. Things, okay. things, will, things will click for you. So Continue. The caller was a man named Irvin Johnson, and he was the CFO for Tuscarora Yarns, which is where Shirley worked. Police was like, ooh, tell us more. So Irvin came down to the sheriff's office and spilled all the tea about his batshit crazy estranged wife, 61-year-old Marlene Johnson. Marlene was born and raised in Gastonia, North Carolina. She came from a wealthy family. And I, as one, I worked with some dudes from Gastonia. I was wondering, is, is that fairly close to Charlotte? I mean, think like, I would say it's like a half hour to 40 minutes outside of Charlotte or some shit like yeah, that. That's close. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's it's very much like the country out, the, the outskirts country of Charlotte for sure. Oh, okay. I rode motorcycles with dudes from Gastonia way out there. And it was like a, we were on country roads and we got out there two lanes kind of situations. Well, there you go. Yeah. Cause you probably, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd want to be just riding your motorcycle on the interstate for funsies. For sure. So Marlene came from a wealthy family and as one acquaintance told snapped quote, she wasn't used to not getting her way. You could tell that she was not used to somebody telling her no end quote. Basically she was a giant spoiled ass bitch. And you can tell by looking at her that she's a bitch. I'm going to show you her show you her picture later. She was very vain. And she very, had a real bitchy looking. Oh my god! She shot. had the like the queen of resting bitch face. Nice. She was obsessed with appearance, so she worked out a lot. She bleached her hair. She botoxed her face within an inch of its life. And to quote the patron saint of East Tennessee, if Marlene saw something sagging, bagging, or dragging, she was going to have it nipped, tucked, or sucked. We're and talking I, about Dolly, ain't it? Yes. That's what in, I thought. in 1983, Marlene married Irvin Johnson, and they were an interesting pair. Irvin was super quiet and reserved, and Marlene was much more gregarious and intimidating, which is just a nice way of saying she was kind of a loudmouth Karen. Irvin worked cushy jobs that funded Marlene's cushy lifestyle. She never had to work. Uh, and according to everything I read, things seemed fine for the Johnsons for the next 20 years. Knowing what I know about Marlene, though, I don't believe that those 20 years were drama-free, but I don't have any proof. Uh, Anyway, in 2003, out of nowhere, Marlene suddenly has a nervous breakdown and tries to unalive herself. She received treatment for the episode, but it was like a switch had been flipped in her, and she became a fucking nightmare. She became very intense, very aggressive, very erratic, and very hard to live with. Marlene threatened to kill Irvin, assaulted him, pointed a gun at him, and even stabbed him in the hand once. Why he stayed with her, I do not know. Marlene also became very jealous, like psychotically jealous. 
she had convinced herself that Irvin was cheating on her and it became an obsession. One of Irvin's colleagues told Snap that Marlene had caused many issues at every job he worked at. She would always target the single women that were not married and she would get this story in her head that they were having an affair with him. So literally every every chick she saw, she is scrumping with my husband. And honestly, I don't even think that it was because That's she, crazy girl stuff, I feel like. Hella crazy girl stuff. And it's not, I don't think it was because she like loved Irvin and like she was heartbroken. I think it was 100% ego. Like he was hers and she'd be damned if anybody else was going to touch him. So in 2006, Irvin took the job as CFO at Tuscarora Yarns and Marlene honed in on Shirley almost immediately. As we know, we've said it, Shirley lit up a room and she was legit gorgeous. So that's already a strike against her. Well, when Shirley and Marlene first meet, Shirley touches Irvin's arm and like calls him honey. And that put the target on her back. Now I'm going to preface what I'm about to say and emphasize that I am in no way on Marlene's side. She's literally batshit crazy. But if you introduced me to a coworker and she touched her arm and called you honey, we would have a problem. I would not put myself in a position for a coworker to feel comfortable enough to call me honey. The first time, like you can't tell me none of the nurses call, don't call you honey or sweetie or sweetheart or nothing. Or dog. No, no. Or sugar. No, no, I'm incredibly professional, to be honest with you. You're professional. Like I'll I like I say things like doll or ma'am, but like I don't know. Like even it, I could go on a rant, but I like I like I observe. I don't know. I don't know if it's like I understand that I'm not an ugly dude. I guess, mm -hmm. and I understand that that I work with a lot of late, like ninety eight percent of the people I work with are like forty five plus, like like a large portion like the like the most most of the people i work with are women that are 45 plus and i get that i'm a i'm a, a younger quasi attractive man and but none of them are unprofessional and you know i get that there's like that, that they may be friendlier to me because i might be somewhat attractive i guess but like uh, I've never encountered a scenario where it's never been like, Ooh, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Well, good, because I do a pretty good job of keeping my crazy tucked in. But when it comes to you, my dash of trash will come out. Um, and I don't know. It's just, I, it, I've never found myself in that scenario. In Shirley's defense, like, I don't think she meant anything by it. I think that, you know, she was just a, a Southern lady. She was probably, like, naturally flirty. Because you be flirting, and you do, I don't think you realize you're flirting. That's just who you are. I don't, I'm not, I don't, but I don't, like, I think for me, what, what seems like flirty is just me being, like, friendly. Like, me being, like, cordial and, like, right. an extroverted man. That's you know my, what I mean? Like, yeah, I that, think a lot of point. what people have have accused me of being flirty as i'm i'm just talking to a, a another human being and being conversational in general like i'm not being flirty i'm just talking to you motherfucker you know yeah but you kind of made my point because like that was probably what shirley thought too yeah so um so from that moment on though marlene was convinced that shirley and Irvin were having an affair and Shirley is now her mortal enemy. 
In 2007, the year after Irvin started at Tuscarora, Marlene followed Shirley into the bathroom at a charity event, slapped her in the face, and called her a skank and a whore. In 2008, Marlene... That's some crazy girl stuff. Yep. It gets worse. In 2008, Marlene used Irvin's key to come into Tuscarora Yarns after hours, hoping to catch Irvin and Shirley in the act, but all she did was catch them both working in their offices. After that incident, Tuscarora Yarns was like, Irvin... Bruh, get you girl. And they get actually, you girl. They I was actually, about to say, get you girl. <laughs> they actually made Marlene sign an agreement that she would not have contact with any Tuscarora employees besides Urban. Did that stop Marlene? No, it did not. In July of 2010, Marlene slit the tires of Urban's work vehicle. And then she texted the VP of Human Resources for Tuscarora and told him that Shirley and Urban were having an affair. So we're now at like, Four years of Marlene being convinced that Shirley and Irvin had a thing. And there has been zero evidence to show that they actually had a thing. But not only did that not detour Marlene, it actually fueled the obsession. And and she tried harder to prove that an affair was going on. So in September of 2010, Marlene hired a private investigator to surveil Irvin for a month. At the end of the month, the PI told Marlene that she had not found any indication at all of an affair between Irvin and Shirley. Marlene doubled down and started asking the PI to do things that were increasingly bizarre and unethical. The PI found out that Marlene had hired another private investigator whose morals could be bought, and they were actually using drones to take aerial views of Shirley's house. Marlene was able to learn every aspect of Shirley's everyday routine, when she left, when she came home, when she went to the grocery store, how open she left her garage door. It was insane, and the PI told Snapped, quote, she just got to the point where she scared me, and I'm not a person that scares easily because I work capital murder cases, but she scared me, end quote. Marlene is officially unhinged, and at some point, I'm not clear when, Irvin decides that he has had enough and he moves out. And of course, Marlene sees this as proof of his affair, and she starts telling anybody that will listen that Irvin had abandoned her for Shirley. She also starts she also starts staking out Irvin's new place. And when she wasn't able to catch him and Shirley together, she broke out one of his apartment windows and replaced it with plexiglass that she attached with Velcro so that she could take it off whenever she wanted to, to break in and go through his shit. Well, one day, Irvin came home early and caught Marlene in the, in the apartment. Like the rational person that she was, Marlene pulled a knife on Irvin and told him, admit that you're sleeping with that whore. He called the police and Marlene was arrested at the scene. That whore. <laughs> <laughs> but Irvin ultimately decided not to press charges because he did not want another scandal. Here is another unsolicited, it's murder, y'all, PSA slash life tip. If someone assaults you, press charges. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care if you don't want me to get in trouble. I don't care if you don't want a scandal or whatever. I've seen too many cases of people not being punished for lower level assaults and then feeling emboldened to do worse shit. Like, oh, a I got away with this. lower level assault will get you every time. Yep. So, in February 2011, shit really hit the fan. Shirley had gone out to lunch with her coworkers, which is something they did every Friday. They went to the same restaurant. At some point during the lunch, Marlene sneaks in dressed in all black and is like in the corner trying to like hide her face behind a menu so people wouldn't notice her. Well, like I said, Shirley visited that restaurant often and her regular waitress, Amy Christie, knew what was up. So she goes over to Shirley's table and is like, hey, that crazy heifer that won't leave you alone is hanging out right over there. Oh, and crazy heifer. That's may or may not be uh, my words and not hers. Um, everybody at the table kind of panicked because they knew Marlene was going to be on her bullshit and start some drama. So Shirley's coworkers tried to form a huddle around her as she left, but that huddle was no match 
for some deep-seated delusional rage because Marlene comes flying through the air like a gazelle, knocks Shirley to the ground, and starts wailing on her, screaming, I'll kill you for fucking my husband. And these are women in their... Full-on crazy bitch, like, unhinged. These are, they're like 60-year-old no women. No offense to people that don't like to be called bitches. I'm sorry. I was probably yeah. disrespectful, I guess. But Yeah, we don't. You can't say that. Shirley um, was... Tr- yeah, well, it's dang. okay. Shirley was treated at no, a local hospital, and Marlene was arrested. Snapped reported that Shirley didn't press charges, but according to the Charlotte Observer, Marlene was convicted of misdemeanor assault and battery and was ordered to stay away from Shirley, the restaurant where Marlene had shut her ass, Tuscarora Yarns, and all Tuscarora Yarns employees aside from Irvin. Now, according to a quick Google search, a first-time offender for a, sip, for a simple misdemeanor like assault and battery can expect a sentence of up to 50 days in jail, fines of, of, of up to $1,000, and community service or victim restitution. Which I feel like is not that big of a punishment for beating somebody up. Because as long as you don't use a weapon, it's simple. Like it's a misdemeanor. It's simple assault. Um, so just don't use a weapon. So Marlene did, didn't get any of that punishment though. Because as soon as she was convicted, she appealed it. How they even entertained her appeal is beyond me. Like there was an entire crowd of people that watched Marlene beat the shit out of Shirley in the restaurant parking lot. Like, what is there to appeal? But at any rate, the appeal was still waiting two years later when Shirley was killed. Though Marlene wasn't given any official punishment, a protective order was put into effect and she was forbidden from having any contact with Shirley. Marlene's a dumbass, though, and she sent Shirley a Facebook friend request six months later. My bet is that she was Facebook stalking Shirley and accidentally hit the friend request. But because of that little flub, the judge extended the no-contact order until June of 2013, which just so happened to be about five weeks before Shirley was murdered. It is also worth noting that according to WSOC-TV News, Shirley had filed eight separate complaints or applications for restraining orders against Marlene since 2010. So eight complaints in a three-year period. Shirley told the court that Marlene terrorized, tormented, stalked, and terrified her. A friend would later report that the day before the murder, Shirley had told her that she was getting a bunch of hang-up phone calls that started around the time the restraining order expired, and she was pretty sure that it was Marlene. She also mentioned being afraid that Marlene would kill her one day. So police hear all this, and they're like, well, we have a new suspect. I feel like that goes back to the, if you hear some people talking about, I'm going to get killed or murdered, you probably ought to say something. Or be like, hey, what do you mean by that? You think you might be murdered. What the fuck does that mean when you say that? And You know what I mean? I think that a lot of people, like, people knew, because this had been going on for, like, seven years at this point. So, like, they knew. I just feel like, I just, I, I don't, it blows me away that when, if any of my friends were like, dude, this motherfucker I work with talks about murdering me all the time. I'd be like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. What do you mean by that? Like, I'd be, like, probing them. Like, if my best friend said, hey, man, this dude I work with keeps talking about fucking killing me. I'd be like, well, wait a minute. Let's talk about some details here for just a second. What do you mean by that? Break this down for me. When you say they want to kill me, like, do you think this person, you know, I mean, I'm going to ask them. I stumbled. I'm going to ask some questions like what the hell is going on here to establish like, is this a concern or not for real? Like, cause I, my friends don't normally say, Hey, this person was talking about murdering. 
Like, I, I feel mean, like if you hear somebody talking about murdering, that's not normal conversation. I don't talk about murdering, and I can get mad about some stuff sometimes. I don't want to murder nobody. I don't well, want to murder anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's different. What the hell? It's different if you hear somebody talking about murder. Like, absolutely. If you hear someone talking about somebody murdering somebody, you need to say something. But, like, in this uh, situation, so it. it was Shirley expressing fear. But, like I just said, she had filed eight complaints in three years. Like, it was a known issue. And so, I don't, There, I mean, there's not much, um, there's not much more she could have done. But so, police hear Irvin's story and they're like, cool, let's talk to uh Marlene and they have to they leave to go track her down she wasn't terribly hard to find as she was hanging out at her attorney's office like all innocent people do her attorney told her to cooperate with police and surrender herself so she did and she was arrested and carted on over to the Rowan County Sheriff's Office for questioning in the meantime though detectives had obtained a a search warrant for Marlene's car and they immediately got to looking in the trunk they found a lot of cleaning supplies which they figured could have been the source of the bleach stains they'd seen in Shirley's house they also found Shirley's car title, as well as some other mail addressed to Shirley. Like, how the fuck did you get Shirley's car title? I don't even know that I know where my own car title is. They got a search warrant. You don't have your car title because you do not own your car right now. See, I didn't even know that. There we go. Yeah, that's how um, it works. You don't get the title till you pay it off. I've never, this is the first car I've ever that I've ever, ever had to paid buy. for. Yeah. Yeah. I was gifted all my other vehicles. No worries. You, you you've got a really good deal on your car for sure. I did. I'm pretty proud of that. So police yeah. got a police also got a search warrant for Marlene's house. And in the house, they found an aerial photo of Shirley's house, a camera with a lot of surveillance photos of Shirley, as well as more address, more mail addressed to Shirley. And again, why you got this shit in your house, Marlene. Sometime that evening. Crazy folks. The North, the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, the SBI, gets a call from a Huntersville police officer about a weird incident that he, that he had had that afternoon. He said he'd been randomly approached by Marlene Johnson, who said that she'd heard from her sister in the news media that she was a suspect in a homicide. Marlene told him that she didn't do it. She had an alibi, and she was wondering if the police officer had been trying to find her. The officer told the SBI that Marlene had been acting extremely nervous, and he had noticed nicks, red marks, and scratches on Marlene's hands. It is important to know that at this point, the news media had not been notified that Shirley had been murdered. So there is no way that she had heard that from her sister. So all signs were pointing to Marlene being the murderer, but investigators wanted to follow every possible lead, which included a visit with Tim Connor. Tim Connor was allegedly a published author, motivational speaker, and quote, professional coach. Some sources say that Tim and Marlene's relationship was just professional, Wherein he coached her through some of the emotionally difficult times she'd been having. Other sources say they were dating. That sounds like low-key they was fucking. Yep. Uh, Although I think he claimed at least at one point that it was not sexual. But some sources say they met at one of Tim's book signings. While other sources say they met online. So we don't really know the extent of their relationship. But Irvin had told the police they probably needed to touch base with Tim. So police headed on over to his house. So Tim explained that he had had a medical procedure done the previous day. And that Marlene had stayed with him the whole day and night to make sure that he didn't have any complications. He said they'd stayed at his house for most of the day, but around midnight, they drove to Marlene's house and spent the night there. Which, why would you do that? Why would you stay all day at his house and then at midnight be like, let's drive over to my house? It's weird to me. I mean, listen, 
people sometimes do weird shit and sometimes like people have weird habits and people are like not cognizant of time, but sometimes people are fucking sketchy. Yeah. And like I think sometimes people are more often sketchy. If it seems sketchy or like, what the fuck are you doing? That's a weird time to do that. Yeah. Like that seemed very, like you're driving as uh, weird to me, but uh, detective again, Nick- that's, that's my, sec- my security measures are going off to me. Like, what are you doing at 11? Yeah. Uh, detective How Nick- old are they again? They're like 60. Yeah. What are you doing at 11 at 60? Yeah. Not at the house, bruh. Right. So Detective Dangerfield noted that Tim seemed very cool, calm, and collected, but he felt like there was more going on than what Tim was saying. So back at the Rowan County Sheriff's Office, Marlene was booked and led to an interrogation room. Major Chad Moose told Snap that Marlene had her sunglasses on. She acted bored, uninvolved. She was acting the complete opposite of how I'd act if somebody was accusing me of murder. I liked Major Moose. He said things that I was thinking. So Marlene denied any involvement, refused to answer any of the investigators' questions, and kept asking, what you, what's your evidence? What evidence do you have? Major Moose asked to look at Marlene's arms and hands, which she surprisingly showed him. So he immediately noticed that she had a French manicure on her nails that was beat all to hell and even had the tips of some of her fingernails missing. Now, back in the day, I wore acrylics, and it was not unheard of for me to walk around with a broken nail or missing a nail every now and then. I usually put a Band-Aid on it. But Marlene was very concerned with appearances, and she is not someone that would normally walk around with a fucked up manicure. It, I'm thinking very much like my mama and your mama. They get their nails done regularly. They ain't out here with... No bullshit nail right, scenario? Fucked up nails. Yeah, like that's... Can you imagine yeah. either one of our mothers walking around with like half their nails missing? I mean, I've obviously known my mama my whole life, but... I ain't never known her to not have her nails painted for sure. Right. And my mother, like my mother would take all of her nails off before she'd walk around with like half of them. Um, So this was very much odd to Major Moose. She also had cuts all over her hands and fingers. They showed a picture on Snapped and it was very clear that she had been in some type of altercation. And no offense to our older listeners, but she's like a 60 year old lady. Like how many fights is she getting in that she would have all these like cuts and scratches and nicks on her arms. So the next day investigators received Shirley's autopsy results. The medical examiner had noted the number of bruises or had noticed a number of bruises, scratches and superficial stab wounds on Shirley's body. She had a stab wound to the forehead, a cut between her eyebrows, a bruise on her nose and a bruise on her cheek, as well as injuries consistent with nail scratches or marks. She had short and long cuts on the top of her head, her nose, chin, and cheeks, and a stab wound to her left thigh. She also had cuts to her fingers on both hands, the palms and backs of her hands and her arms, most of which were likely defensive wounds. The most telling aspect of the autopsy was the fact that Shirley had been stabbed so violently that the knife blade broke off, severed her carotid artery and jugular vein, and was found lodged in her throat. The medical examiner was able to provide the investigators with the knife blade, so now it was just a matter of figuring out who had the rest of the set. I don't really know much about knives, but I imagine it takes quite a bit of force to break a knife blade off and just like in it her depends throat. on the grade of steel. I mean, and it depends on the specific knife used. Like if you're talking about like a butcher knife, the butcher knife is going to be a thicker blade than like a paring knife which is going to be a blade that has more of a flexible blade if you can envision that or you know 
like a I don't know, like a steak knife. A steak knife is not going to be super rigid. It'll be a little flimsy. But I feel like there's still you still gotta have some force. Like I Yeah, reckon. either way, yeah. If you're if you're using a kitchen knife that's not a butcher knife, because a butcher knife is like the quintessential home defense or murder knife, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. Like I would just assume. Like the butcher if I, if I were gonna grab a knife out of a knife block, the butcher knife is the one to grab, like bar none. Yeah. Um I would have I'd have that in one hand and then that really long the really long one. Cause like it's not as like it's more pliable is not the word, but it's less stable. But I could be farther away and stab Yeah, them. the, I'm doing stabbing motions. the if you you got to grab the knife that's closest to what the fuck a sword is going to be like as a woman, I feel like. And for me as a man, even as a man, I'm thinking if I if I make it to the knife block, I'm grabbing the butcher knife, my dude. No doubt about it. I'm hacking and slashing with a butcher knife because it's big and it's going to do damage like this. This, this is a no brainer. This is an absolute. You don't have to think about it. Just grab the butcher knife. Yep, You just don't have talk. to think about if you're at the knife block in the kitchen. Oh, I need a weapon. You grab the big one, the big one. That's the only one you grab the big one. Just call me Norman Bates. That's right. Just grab the big one, Norman. <laughs> so police compared the blade to cutlery that they had taken from Marlene's house, and they could not find a match. So they asked the judge for a search warrant to check out Tim Connor's knives. In Tim's kitchen, police found a set of four knives. Or should I say, what was supposed to be a set of four knives, it was clear that one of the knives was missing. And wouldn't you know it, the knife that killed Shirley was consistent with the other three knives in that set. Police were like, so Tim, we got some bad news. Looks like the murder weapon probably came from your kitchen. So we're going to give you one more chance to tell us the truth or shit's going to get real. And so at this point, Tim proceeds to tell police that he had in fact lied to them during his first interview. He said that he had had a medical procedure done And Marlene did drive him to and from the hospital, but then she left and went home. She called him the next morning and asked him to meet her for breakfast at the Cracker Barrel. During breakfast, Marlene told him that if anything came up, he needed to say that she stayed at his house until around midnight. Then they drove over to her house to spend the night. He had noticed cuts on Marlene's fingers, but I guess he didn't say anything to her about it. Later that afternoon, Marlene called Tim and asked him to go to her house, get her computer and iPad, and take them to her lawyer's office, which he did. In his interview with Snapped, Major Moose said exactly what I was thinking. Quote, I think a normal person would think that was weird, but Tim heard what she was saying and agreed to go with it because they were such good friends. End quote. I'm sorry, but if one of my friends, A, asked me to be their alibi, B, showed up at breakfast with cuts all over their hands, and C, asked me to go to their house and pick up shit to take their lawyer, I am at the very least gonna ask some questions. Like, I give, For give sure. me, give me some, like, I don't care who you are. I ain't fixing to be no accessory to murder. You tell me what this is about, and I will decide if I'm going to go along with it. So at this point, Marlene is in jail, and that's where she was going to sit for a while. One judge set her bond at forty-five, nope, $450,000 for the murder. But when the Rowan County Sheriff's Office tacked a first-degree burglary charge onto the rap sheet, a judge added $500,000 to her bond, making it a solid nine hundred and. Fifty thousand. I, I have a hard time with numbers. Nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. Math is hard. It is, but then a grand jury was like, "Nope, not for that crazy ass heifer." So they overruled it, and a superior court judge denied bond altogether. Marlene's attorney had fought for a two hundred fifty 
$250,000 bond, arguing that the only evidence against Marlene was circumstantial. They hadn't found any fingerprints or DNA putting Marlene at the scene. The attorney said, what's the other evidence? She asserts her innocence. And I mean, when you put it that way, like she asserts her innocence. I mean, that's why even have bond at all? Like you're clearly innocent. I assert my innocence. Right. Like, okay, you can go home. Like, seriously. It's uh, it's also funny that the defense attorney mentioned not having any physical evidence because guess what? They found Marlene's DNA on the shower curtain and on some paper towels that were used to try to clean up the crime scene. Police also obtained Marlene's credit card and debit card records, which placed her near Shirley's house on the night of the murder. They also had cell phone data putting her near Shirley's home on the night of the murder. They, they technically obtained that data uh, without a search warrant. So that was a little bit of a point of contention later, but they did have it. So just to recap, we have a history of Marlene talk, stalking and attacking Shirley. She told a police officer she had heard about the murder from the news media, which was not possible. She had her boyfriend slash professional coach create a fake alibi for her and had him remove her computer and iPad from her house, which no doubt had, incrimi had incriminating evidence on them. She had cleaning supplies in her car, along with Shirley's car title and other mail. They found more of Shirley's mail at Marlene's house, plus surveillance photos of Shirley. Marlene had cuts all over her arms, hands, and fingers. Credit card records put her near the crime scene, and her DNA was found in the house. Put a fork in Marlene. She's done. So, the trial started in January 2018, which was like four and a half years after the murder. Which I'm like, speedy trial? Like, four and a half years? And they didn't even have COVID as an excuse. Um... Siobhan Potts, a former crime reporter for the Salisbury Post, told Snapped Marlene, quote, maintained her innocence. She appeared as if she was untouchable, that she would that she would not be convicted, end quote. And I truly believe that Marlene believed that. Like, she was a spoiled brat who had always gotten her way. Like, she even got away with threatening and assaulting Shirley and Irvin for years. So I have no doubt that she thought that things were going to work out for her this time, too. And I know that this does not matter. And some of y'all are going to give me shit. But I take great glee in saying that Marlene looked like shit in court. Because, you know, like I said, you can tell that she was someone who got Botox regularly and had definitely had a brow lift and or facelift done at some point. She used to dye her hair real blonde. She got her nails done regularly. And turns out you can't do none of that shit in jail. And she put all this effort into her appearance for all these years to not look her age. And now she looked like the old ass lady she was. And I loved it. Loved it. Because I know it was killing her. Especially because she was like, like on the news and in the newspaper and she looked like shit. So the prosecution clearly had I'll a be hating. I will I'm drinking the <laughs> haterade. She sucks. So fuck her. The prosecution clearly had a strong case with a metric fuck ton of circumstantial and physical evidence, and they were pretty confident that they knew exactly how the murder had gone down. They figured that Shirley pulled into her garage, got out of her car, and went to the house. Marlene had been surveilling Shirley for a hot minute, so she knew the best time and the best way to sneak into the house after Shirley. Shirley got dressed and ready for bed and was talking to Chuck on the phone when Marlene jumped out and attacked her. Shirley was either dead or dying when Marlene drug her to the bathroom and put her in the bathtub. Marlene realized she'd cut herself during the attack, so those random bleach spots around the house were probably her trying to clean up her blood, not Shirley's. She wasn't as clever as she thought she was, though, because she missed a couple spots. One thing that came out during the trial that I thought was hilarious for a lack of a better word was the fact that Marlene had tried texting Shirley the day before the murder, but she got the wrong number or she'd gotten the number wrong and had accidentally texted a 15 year old boy. She texted back off 
only way you will get Irvin is over my dead body. You will not steal, spelled S-T-E-E-L. My husband, you skanky, spelled S-K-A-N-K-I-E, whore. So back off. Ooh. Only way you will get Irvin is over my dead body. You will not steal my husband, you skanky whore. The kid responded. <laughs> the kid responded, I think you have the wrong number. And Marlene texted back, is this Shirley Pierce? And the kid told her it was not. And I don't know why, but that whole exchange was just, it struck me as very funny. Like, can you imagine? You a, skanky whore. Yeah, like you, you're you a 15-year-old boy and you get a text from a 60-year-old woman calling you a skanky whore with horrible spelling. So in news that isn't shocking to anyone, the nine-woman three-man jury found Marlene Johnson guilty of first-degree murder. As soon as the word guilty came out of the foreman's mouth, Marlene audibly gasped and collapsed to the ground. I guess this is the first time in her life she had to deal with consequences. Deputies rushed over to her and started to take her out of the courtroom, but the judge was like, nope, not today, Karen. The judge literally told Marlene that she was going to stand there and she was going to listen as each juror was asked what their verdict was. After the verdict was handed down, Marlene said, quote, I disagree with the decision. I am innocent. I was never there. I would not hurt anybody. I would not have killed Shirley Pierce, end quote. Ma'am. You literally beat the shit out of her in a parking lot in front of God and everybody. You clearly have a documented history of hurting people. So, I, I can't, she, she's so delusional. Hey. I can't, I can't handle it. So, crazy folks be doing crazy shit. The judge in the case was a queen. And in response to Marlene's denial, she said, quote, the DNA squarely contradicts everything you just said, end quote. She then sentenced Marlene to life in prison without the possibility of parole and told her, ma'am, you will die in prison. That is my order. You get a standing ovation, judge lady. Um, and I know I've said it before, but I just, I can't, I cannot handle people who in the face of like insurmountable scientific evidence will be like, nope, couldn't be me. Like you very clearly did it, bitch. Your DNA was found at the crime scene. Like, did the murder fairy sprinkle, like, sprinkle your DNA on the shower curtain and paper towels? There is, in fact, a murder fairy. Yeah. And that's what they blame it on every time. Yep, that, that's what it is. I wasn't there, no way. No, I, just, I don't know how my DNA got there. I mm -hmm. also want to add that there I was... was framed. <laughs> I want to add that there was never any indication that Shirley and, and Irvin ever had any type of relationship beyond being co-workers. Like, they absolutely were not having an affair. They never did. They were never more than colleagues. Marlene was just fucking crazy. On a final note, prior to sentencing, I don't know if you know this, Rob, but family members are allowed to give victims impact statements where they tell the court how losing their loved one has affected them. And oftentimes they'll speak directly to the accused person. In her statement, Shirley's daughter, Tracy, said to Marlene, quote, As a Christian, I'm supposed to be forgiving, but I can never forgive you for what you did. And if that keeps me from going to heaven, then I'll meet you in hell, end quote. And I love that energy. I'm here for it. And I appreciate it greatly. So that is the case. Say that one more time. The whole quote. Yeah. As a Christian, I'm supposed to be forgiving, but I could never forgive you for what you did. And if that keeps me from going to heaven, then I'll meet you in hell. That's some stone cold movie shit. Right. Oh, it's so good. So good. Um, so that was the case of the brutal murder of Shirley Pierce by the batshit crazy egomaniacal Karen on steroids, Marlene Johnson. So, Rob, what are your final thoughts on this case? Crazy is as crazy does, I reckon. True that. And she was like, I can't figure out if she was legitimately mentally ill. 
or if she just was a spoiled ass Karen and who wanted things her way and she just had it set in her mind that this was how things were going to be. Well, I feel like that she may have been a crazy ass Karen, but you got to be a crazy ass murdering son of a bitch to be like, regardless of you're a crazy ass Karen, crazy ass Karen was just an, a, like a modifier of crazy ass murdering son of a bitch. So I don't think I follow like, yeah, she was a crazy ass Karen. But before that, I feel like if you're going to murder somebody, Deep down inside, you got to be a crazy murdering ass son of a bitch, right? Or a crazy ass serial killer son of a bitch. I, 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 from a person who sits on the bench and hears murder shit, that's not like an, a murder shit aficionado like yourself. To me, the only type of people that murder are desperate, blah, desperate people, or crazy people, or desperate crazy caring people or you know what i mean it's like there's some like there's an air of desperation and crazy associated with it or serial killer shit i feel like and we've kind of touched on this before that there's like different kinds of crazy there's like legitimately mental ill you don't have control of your facilities faculties it's a faculties or facilities facilities i think it is what it's the same yeah y'all get what we're saying like they legit have things going on that are outside of their control and then there's people that are just just fucking crazy like that's a a, the whole Mm -hmm. category as a foster kid i grew up around full-blown fucking crazy girls and i can tell you well and crazy boys that's not i won't just discriminate but I grew up around some very crazy girls and, and crazy girls are scarier than crazy boys. I was going to say like, like well, I, from my experience personally, as a man, yes. Like as a woman of dudes, always going to be scarier to me, but like, bro, as, crazy, as a young boy and a young teenager, crazy women scared the f- crazy girls scared the shit out of me versus a dude who had a temper problem. Right, because I'll uh, fight a dude. I can fight a dude. That's a problem I can solve. But a crazy girl, how the fuck do you deal with that? Right, I don't know. I still don't know. They'll, <laughs> they'll ruin your life and have no problems with it. So yeah, so thank y'all so much for listening to the It's Murder Y'all podcast. As always, sources for this episode will be listed in the show notes. Please subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, tell your mama. We'll see y'all next week. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Holler at you.